Commencement, the beginning of a new era in higher education by Kate Colbert and Joe Salustio with contributions by Elvin Freitas is now available for pre-order on Amazon. Get your Kindle edition or your softbound book. It's going to be amazing. Fierce Education targets higher education leaders, administrators, and faculty, and those driving technology adoption decisions in this new blended learning world. Go to www.fierceeducation.com for all the latest news, tips, and successful case studies of what higher education institutions are doing to better student engagement, ensure equal access, and improve the assessment process. That's www.fierceeducation.com. Welcome back, everybody. It's your time to add up on the Ed Up Experience podcast, where we make education your business. Dr. Joe Salusio, back with you again. I will tell you guys that uh, in the uh, preface of my uh, book that I have uh, coming up with Dr. Uh, with uh, Kate Colbert called Commencement, the beginning of an era, new era in higher I can't even talk today, you guys. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Let me try that again. The beginning of a new era in higher education, of course, um, formed by the insights of 100 plus college and university presidents. It's going to be out in a month from now. It might be out uh, soon after this episode releases. Anyway, getting back to my point, when I say um, that uh, we've been that I'm here on every episode, that's true. I've said this intro uh, about over 500 times now. In my sleep, I say, welcome back, everybody. And I go through the whole thing in my sleep with different improvements that I should make or, or don't make. Anyway, it's a whole thing, you guys. I, I don't expect any of you to understand, but when you say something so many times over and over and over, it begins to seep in your dreams. In your dreams, <laughs> I see Ed Up hashtags. Ed Up everywhere. Anyway, enough about me. Let me bring in my guest because we're going to have an important conversation. Um, somebody that I've been trying to get on this mic, and she's done everything she could to avoid me, um, but I've gotten my hooks into her now. Ladies and gentlemen, here she is, my guest co-host for the day. Her name is Kathleen Kennedy Manzo, and she's the Executive Vice President of Education, Labor, and Economy Practice at Hager Sharp. And Kathleen, you're also the former Managing Editor at Education Week. Welcome to the EdUp Experience. Thank you so much. And, uh, you know, I can't imagine that the EdUp Experience isn't in everyone's dreams, Joe. <laughs> you're so kind, Kathleen. Uh, you're so kind. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you what, um, uh, that may be true, but only because I forced it by doing 500 episodes of this podcast all right anyway um thanks for being here Are you excited to co-host with me i am really excited i have not co-hosted a podcast before i've done all kinds of other media but this is a first well i'm glad that we could be here now you're going to go on and start your own podcast who knows what's going to come of it um but we got a lot to do and we've got a lot of ground to cover today with our guest i'm going to hit the applause button and you're going to hear me talk really fast because his title's really long here we go Ladies and gentlemen, he's Dr. Jason Taylor, who's director of the Collaborative Higher Education Research and Policy and an associate professor for, let me hit it again, and an associate professor for educational leadership at the University of Utah. Jason, what's going on? Hey, good afternoon. You need a longer applause button, I think. Yeah, that's, that's the most applause I've, I've received in a while, so I appreciate it. <laughs> Happened two times in a row. What's going on? How are you? I'm great. I'm great. Um, You're here to talk to us about a one heck of a report that you were involved in um, that is all about dual credit and dual enrollment, I'm sorry, dual enrollment and 
what is dual enrollment and why is dual enrollment and what's the equity around dual enrollment? Can you talk to about us about this report? What's it called? Why did you decide to do this study? And, uh, and, and then we'll start to get into the insights. Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks for having me. And I think, you know, your, your question there prompted one of the most confusing things in this space, which is what, what, what term do we use? Is it dual credit, dual enrollment? Um, some states call it concurrent enrollment, and uh, that in, in and of itself creates a lot of confusion. But, but the broad idea is we're talking about high school students taking college courses. Um, and so I've been studying dual enrollment for a while. I wrote my dissertation on it uh, back in 2013 and have continued to study it. And a small group of folks have been uh, studying it over the past few decades. Uh, but as it turns out, you know, there's uh, the, the number of students taking dual enrollment, um, which, by the way, I'll use the term dual enrollment just to refer broadly to the phenomenon of high school students taking college courses. But as it turns out, the number of students use, um, you know, taking dual enrollment has just grown exponentially over the past couple decades. Um, you know, we, we write this in the report, which I'll, I'll talk a little bit about here, but, the, you know, one in 10 high school students right now is is taking a college course so it's um it's it's really you know no longer a small phenomenon and and some national data tell us that about a third of students um by the time they graduate high school they're going to graduate with dual enrollment credit so um so long story short you know uh, myself and uh my colleague alex perry who um, runs the college and high school uh, alliance we you know, we were sort of brainstorming about, you know, the need for more, more data and research on dual and concurrent enrollment as it's grown, um, particularly um, related to sort of research that speaks to equitable dual enrollment. And so, um, you know, we brought together a group of researchers and leaders um, in, in the field to take stock of what we know about dual enrollment. Uh, from the research and the evidence and really map out a future research agenda for dual enrollment. And so uh, uh, the report that you mentioned, Joe, it was released in July and it's called Research Priorities for Advancing Equitable Dual Enrollment Policy and Practice, co-authored by um, you know, the, the a really outstanding group of, of researchers who uh, who went on this journey with me um, over the past couple of years um, and informed by, you know, some really smart and bright and talented educational policy and practice practice leaders in the field. And, and it's a 110-page report, but we summarize sort of some primary conclusions from the evidence in the report. And then we really map out five priorities for future scholarship and research um, that, that we think the field needs to answer in order to um, move the needle on equitable dual enrollment policy and practice. Okay, all right, all right, all right. That's, I mean, so many questions, right? When you talk about dual, I, and you're right, I did do it, right? Dual enrollment, what did I say? Dual credit, dual, and then I messed up and said dual enrollment to correct yeah. myself. But it is, some of these terms that we use within higher education are so interchangeable like depending on who you're talking to and the level of knowledge that they have, they can wield these terms from a position of strength or one of complete weakness. And you're like, what the mm -hmm. heck are they talking about? And you got to figure out 
you know, what, what our vernacular is and who said what and what did they mean. But dual enrollment, to your point, or the number of, uh, in this case, the number of uh, high school students receiving uh, credit uh, also in college is a gr uh, seems like a growing phenomenon for sure. And one that does lower the overall cost of education, which is why I think it is increasing in popularity. Um, is this one of the most important or significant findings in the report is, I mean, this is an important takeaway from, you know, why students look at dual enrollment or why high schools or why colleges want to engage in it? Yeah, great question. And I mean, I think um, one of, I mean, I think why dual enrollment, one of the reason, important reasons why dual enrollment has grown is because, yeah, um, it, uh, it lowers the cost for a lot of students. Now, that's not the case everywhere. And, you know, we talk about this in, in the report, state policy really drives uh, dual enrollment practice at the local level. In some, in some states, like, you know, the state that I live in, in, in Utah, uh, the state legislature has set a, a max of $5 per credit for, for dual enrollment. Well, that's not the case in a lot of other states. I, I was, I lived in Illinois and grew up, grew up in Illinois, lived there for a long time, you know, in, in, in Illinois, you know, the cost is unregulated. Some students might pay the full price of tuition for, for dual enrollment. So there's a lot of variation. Um, um, and I think there's certainly more, uh, you know, fo folks, I, I think, are realize that, that, cost can be a real barrier for a lot of students, particularly low-income first-gen students um, who, who might not be able to afford um, uh, uh, dual enrollment uh, tuition. So yeah, it, it, save, it does save students um, money in, in many cases, and it saves students time um, in a lot of cases as well, right? They can get a head start on college. Um, and you know a lot of the qualitative research when we talk to students, uh, uh, dual enrollment students, that's one of the things they tell us most often, right? Is you know, I can get started, um, I can save money, and uh, I can maybe get through college a little a little faster. Right, that's important, Kathleen. What do you what do you think about all this? You've read this report or been involved in it, and um, it can really connected us with Jason. Uh, I know you've got a lot that you want to bring up. Yeah, yeah. So I was really excited when the Joyce Foundation asked me to work with Jason and the team of researchers to help promote this white paper, um, you know, which, you know, I think does a pretty extensive, maybe the most extensive job to date around what the research says and more importantly, what it doesn't say and we need to know. And, um, you know, in my career, as a journalist, you know, I covered uh, higher ed at Community College Week and diverse issues in higher education. And then K-12 at Education Week for a lot of years. And um, dual over enrollment 20, Over 20 years, I think, right? Yeah, yeah, for, for a couple of decades. Um, I was very, very young when I started. Amazing. <laughs> um, and dual enrollment always fascinated me. Um, I visited programs around the country. So it surprised me in working with Jason that there wasn't, even though there's a lot of research, that there were gaps in the research and that what we do know wasn't, you know, as robust, robust perhaps, um, as we need to know, given that this, you know, is one of the potential ways to, you know, get kids on that path to college and, you know, maybe even motivate kids and, and boost those college enrollments um, because they've had that prior experience. Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, 
you know, one of the things that we that we highlight in the report right at the beginning, and and Kathleen highlight, highlighted this. I mean, the evidence is is crystal clear. Dual enrollment helps students transition out of high school and into college and careers, and that's probably, you know, sort of the place where we. Um, where the evidence is most compelling, right? Study after study has shown that, you know, getting a start on college in high school is gonna help you um, succeed in college on average. Um, and the big caveat for that, which, you know, sort of I alluded to this earlier is, um, is that, you know, those outcomes aren't equal. So we see really big disparities um, in, in access and success. Yikes. Yeah, yikes, right. So that's why we did this paper, right? We see huge disparities in dual enrollment access by um, race, ethnicity, by income, by first generation status. Um, so, you know, we know that dual enrollment is like one of the most important um, mechanisms and strategies for transitioning students um, into college, but not all students can access it. Fierce Education is the place where higher education leaders, administrators, and faculty, and those driving technology adoption decisions in education can access proven methods and best practices as they rethink pedagogy and business models in the new blended learning world. Through its website, www.fierceeducation.com, virtual events and newsletters, Fierce Education focuses on rethinking higher education in a blended learning world. Fierce Education's key tenants are to use technology for teaching better and reaching learners everywhere, addressing business model changes required to move forward, and workforce preparation for adult learners who are out to reskill. That's www.fierceeducation.com. Kathleen, you have uh, another one you want to? Yeah, yeah. So I start taking over. Yeah, well, I will just butt in again and say, you know, also, you know, during my years as a journalist, you know, one of the things that always came up is this um, lack of sufficient coordination between uh, K-12 and especially secondary education and higher ed and, you know, how that, you know, conversation and collaboration can really help, you know, make more of a seamless system and, and perhaps, you know, higher ed can support secondary educators and, and students and parents in, in understanding what are some of these pathways. And, you know, I see dual enrollment and, and Jason, I'd love to hear your perspective on how dual enrollment can be one of those mechanisms for, you know, creating more of this seamless environment. Yeah, I, I mean, I think one thing that, and, and Kathleen, certainly you've done a lot of, covered a lot of this. Um, I, you know, full disclosure, I've never worked for uh, um, a dual enrollment program or you know, sort of led one. I, I mostly approach this topic as a researcher, but I think, you know, it's not easy to work across our our big educational systems, right? Um, we're we're siloed in sort of K twelve and higher ed systems, and I think um, some of our some of the strongest, I'd say, outcomes that we see in this in dual enrollment is is where we see close partnerships between high school high schools and, and colleges. I always point to um, early college high schools if you know if um, if folks are familiar with those they're not in every state but some states um, like North Carolina and others have really invested in them and you know the idea is that you know we're we're really reforming a high school um, to to focus on sort of college readiness and um, dual enrollment is one um, 
one component of early college high school, an, an early college high school model, but you know, it requires such close collaboration and coordination between a college and a high school. Um, and evidence is really strong that those, you know, those students, um, many of whom, you know, are 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 low income students of color, first generation. Um, that's sort of the target population for many early colleges, but the evidence shows those, you know, those those high schools really help students access college, prepare them for college, um, and and help them transition into college um, after high school because um, of the really strong, you know, coordination and collaboration that um, between high school and college leaders. You know, Jason, one of the things that I that I think is really critical about this conversation about dual credit is who the heck promotes the thing. I mean, you know, I've been involved in some dual credit programs. And so I have some of this knowledge firsthand, but you know, uh, there's a lot of confusion. Let me, let me restart that question, but there's a lot of confusion, right? When you have dual credit classes and the college changes its curriculum and they've got to communicate it to the high school, they got to make sure that it's right. The curriculum has the map so that you can give credit for it. So there's all the whole Carnegie unit thing that's involved. Um, there's uh, uh, another piece that's like, how do you promote it? Who, who's sending the students in these classes? Is it the high school? Is it the college that, that uh, you know, prepares in and, you know, just students roll up into it? Did your research take a look at how students are entering into dual credit? Is it just kind of plopped in front of them by a high school advisor saying, you should do this too? Because I was, one of the parts I find fascinating about the report is the bit about how the experience in the dual credit course can really affect that person's path and experience um, in, in terms of self-confidence toward college, right? Because if they have a bad experience, you know, in one part of the country, dual credit is giving you great experience. You're more likely to persist in college. But if it's a dual credit experience or they fail a dual credit, uh, dual credit course, is that more likely that they will not go to college? Right. So there's a lot of questions around who's in control of it, how who promotes it, how do students enter it? I think that's more than one question, but you take it the best way you know how. Well, I think the the that's a really great question. I mean, in terms of who. Um, like even broad, a broader question, like how do students learn about dual enrollment or dual credit, right? Um, how do they come to come to learn about it? Um, I mean, one of the answers that we always, we, it's, you know, we talk about a lot in this space is that it depends, right? Because there's 50 states and 50 state policies on, you know, some states require local sort of high schools to um, do direct outreach and promote um, dual enrollment. But I think, and, and others don't, but I think what we, what you generally find is the high school sort of often, um, you know, will, will lead some of the recruitment and out, outreach materials uh, uh, or strategies. Um, but in other states, you know, and in some localities, you know, the college um, particularly programs that are offered on the college campus, the college will sort of provide leadership in that space. But either way, I think, you know, the big thing that we highlight in the report is, is the access gap. You know, we still have really big um, access gaps for dual enrollment. Um, you know, one of our priorities for future research is around how parents and communities and families influence whether students um, 
participate in dual enrollment, we really don't have a lot of good evidence or research that tells us about um, the role of, of, of families and, and parents. I always point to an NCS study um, that was uh, you know, I, I forget which longitudinal study it was a point, it, it was a, it was a part of, but, you know, one of the, maybe Nels, I think, or Els, but, you know, one of the questions they asked high school students in that, in that study is, you know, who, you know, who has the biggest influence on your educational, education and career decisions? Huh? And yeah, and guess who it's not? It's not counselors, it's not teachers. It's families. I think 50, upwards of like 50% of students said that the number one influence on their future, you know, sort of education and career um, plans were, 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 were their families, their parents. Um, so, yeah, you know, I, I, if I could just jump in this, please. this is really resonating with me because um, as the mother of two kids who not that long ago were in high school um, and have continued into higher education. Uh, you know, in a very high performing school district in this nation, and as someone who, you know, understands the landscape, um, you know, I always knew dual enrollment would, would be a great opportunity for my kids and the school, you know, had it as a priority, but, and I'm, a, I'm in communications too, I got to say, it was a, a very complex and confusing process. And I, you know, even some of the was trying to help my kids navigate it. Um, you know, it we we did not take advantage of those opportunities because um, I don't know. It just it just it, it the stars did not align for various confused. reasons. Confused. And and it's confusing. That gets back to my original point. Like, who communicates it, and how do they kids find out about it? And you know, to your point, Jason, and you make a good one too, Kathleen. It's like. The parents want to be involved. They're definitely involved, um, I think, parents, and you guys correct me if I'm wrong, in where the student goes to college. And we, we find um, when we're just enrolling students here at Lindenwood and the parents are there, I mean, the parents have a great influence over the student. You know, sometimes in higher ed, one of our big complaints in higher ed is that, you know, not every school gets equal treatment. You go here because your parents went there, or you mm -hmm. go here because this happens to be in your region, or you heard so-and-so's mom and dad say that this was a good school, so you go there. But there is a, a you know communication issue, which Jason, going back to the equities, when you talk about equity in this process, there is a uh, inference that there is inequity, the way you were saying it before, like there is an inequity in this process for dual credit. It, how, how is it communicated in a way that creates, or how can we communicate it in a way that, and I say dual credit because I'm one of those people that seems to throw this around as an interchangeable term, apparently. The dual enrollment, how does it com communicate it at scale to help the disadvantaged, the economically, um, the, the people who are in economic uh, disadvantage or, or those coming from, you know, socioeconomic backgrounds that are in the lower economic quartiles? Yeah. Well, it's okay to use the terms interchangeably, Joe, because I think sometimes they are. Um, it, it's hard to decipher between uh, terms and models. But um, I mean, I, I wish I had like the perfect answer to your question. I think, you know, um, one of the things that seems obvious is that, you know, we need to, um, colleges, I think, need to be more involved and more proactive. Um, and maybe this goes back to the question about partnerships, Kathleen, right? Like, how can, um, you know, how can colleges, you know, embed themselves, particularly with 
um, with, you know, at the local level, right? Like how can they really partner to, um, you know, make sure all high school students are, are, are aware. Um, um, and I, you know, either, I think maybe there's some creative solutions with technology, um, which is not my area of expertise, but, you know, uh, it doesn't, you know, take, I mean, we, we look at young people these days and everyone's on their phone, right? Like how can we reach students um, via technology? Um, and then the other thing that I think, you know, there's a couple states innovating with sort of auto enrollment approaches, you know, uh, a lot of states and, um, you know, or, or localities, students have to apply for dual enrollment, but really a school district and a college, you know, they, they know which students are eligible that meet, meet eligibility criteria. Um, why not auto enroll them? Um, and then have a, have the student, let the yes. student have a conversation with their family <laughs> and yeah, right. Have that, let a student have a conversation with their family and counselor about, you know, you know, whether this is the right choice um, and they sort of have to opt out. Um, but to your earlier point, Joe, you know, we do, you know, students might have a negative experience in, in dual enrollment program, you know, and that has all sorts of implications. You know, if a student fails a course, it has all sorts of implications for a college transcript and, um, and you know, financial aid. So there's, there's ways to, you know, put safe put some safeguards in place so students aren't negatively affected in the future. But um, yeah, those are a couple ideas. Kathleen, do you, you want to jump in? Yeah, yeah, I did. I did want to just make a note that one of the one of the things that excited me about, um, you know, supporting this work is that, you know, you think, oh, white paper, oh, this is something that's going to sit on the shelf or just, you know, be in your reading queue forever but wow. you know, there was a real intent behind this to make it a catalyst um and, a, and an ongoing conversation um and i'd love for jason to talk about um you know the the research agenda and why it's important that you know this raised the alarms or or at least motivations for researchers um for policymakers um, for leaders of institutions and, you know, even educators to realize this is a huge untapped well of opportunity, perhaps, um, but for, you know, some of these remaining questions and, and that commitment um, going forward, forward rather than it, you know, just being like a, oh, did that move on to the next thing? Yeah, well, you know, so, you know, this is a higher ed audience and, you know, so if, if you're in higher ed and, you know, I, I teach in a higher ed leadership program, you know, <clears throat> we have hundreds and thousands of, of studies on concepts like student engagement, you know, now sense of belonging. Um, we actually have so much evidence on college access, right? Um, to, to your point earlier, Joe, we, we've got a lot of a lot of research on the college choice process, right? What we don't have a lot of evidence on is dual enrollment, relatively speaking, right? Yet when we when we talk about the 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 growth and significance of of dual enrollment, I think you know our research community. Um, whether that be higher ed researchers or maybe K-12 researchers, um, you know, we, we're, we're not, we've not kept up with, with the field, right? So um, to Kathleen's point, I think, you know, it's our hope that this agenda really, you know, is a catalyst and inspires, you know, um, both, both those studying, you know, 
K-12 or higher ed um, to, to really invest some time in, in, um, in, in dual enrollment so we can figure out how to do it better, um, you know, because policy and practice is moving um, and it's going to continue to move um, in, in ways that it wants to until we have sort of some, some stronger evidence that sort of tells us what we should be doing and, what, and why for, for dual enrollment. So, yeah, I'm hopeful we'll, in, you know, inspire some, you know, some folks who maybe haven't been thinking about dual enrollment to think, think about it more seriously. Yeah, Jason, I want to, I want to jump on that, Kathleen, if I could, and kind of ask the same question. I'm going to actually read you guys, if, I, if I'm okay to do this, to read a, one of the, um, the findings. It's your the, show, Joe. <laughs> oh, I can do whatever I want. Okay. Yeah. Is that, was that permission? Uh, yes. Yeah. What the evidence tells us, this section of the report, because what you guys are talking about is kind of scary, right? And, and, I, and I say it like this: dual enrollment, good. Yes, we love it. It's awesome. One alongside that, you know, we have to increase the equity for it. Maybe how it communicates, people access it. Simultaneously, higher ed is reaching its tentacles into um, into. Uh, high schools more than ever, right? Because we know that that population of students is drying up. So higher ed institutions are doing everything possible to try to engage the students really at a younger and younger age for a couple of reasons, right? Because we need more students in higher ed. So many institutions are in trouble or will be in trouble when the CARES funding and the HER funds go away. But also because, you know, you, you want to communicate your brand and you want to get them involved and you want to let them know uh, to continue, you know, really to continue. All right. So anyway, a lot of reasons why those things are happening simultaneously. And then I was reading the report and this is the thing that like boggled my mind. This is the part where I'm like, oh, wow, this is really something. I'm going to read it right now. It says, Okay, this is me of the reading. This is like my Amazon practice where my book comes out and I'm going to do like the, the audiobook. Research on teaching and learning in the dual enrollment classroom is limited, but the existing research suggests that dual enrollment classes and instruction do not precisely reflect the high school or college experience and environment. Rather, they are in a liminal, and I had to look that up, space <laughs> that requires dual enrollment instructors to navigate multiple education systems, cultures, and norms. So immediately I'm like painting this picture of the person who's teaching this dual credit course stuck between high school and college curriculum, delivery, probably not supported in the way that I should. I've got these brains that I'm trying to mold and get them ready for college. And maybe I'm just not, you know, I don't have the resources I need to do it in the right way. That's kind of a scary thing is you look at a dual enrollment, more kids maybe entering, putting more uh, uh, students, uh, you know, from diverse backgrounds into those dual enrollment courses. Same time, higher ed reaching down into high schools to reach, to get those students at a younger age and ending up in this course where your faculty is towing the line, so to speak. That's a really, like, that's a phenomenon that has to be explored, don't you think? Was yeah. that just like a question that took nine years for me to get out? I feel like it was a big yeah. setup. Hey, like Kathleen said, it's your show, so you can, you know, you have to, <laughs> you can ask the the no, Interesting, interesting uh, part of the exploration, though, I think. All right, Jason, you got to respond to all that nonsense that I just was. Well, I think you, you know, um, ever since I've been studying uh, dual enrollment, and I think we, we hear it today too, you know, there's this um, desire for dual enrollment classrooms to perfectly mirror the college environment. 
And I think what some of the research in um, particularly the research on teaching and learning, you know, sort of what happens in the classroom and faculty, you know, it doesn't it's, it doesn't tell us that it's precisely the college environment um, and it doesn't tell us that it's the high school environment either, you know, it's as um, you know, Christine Deneker, who is one of the authors of the paper who wrote um, in, in more depth about this, this piece, you know, sort of really picked up on this liminal space. And I think that makes a lot of some people uncomfortable, myself included, right? Because we do have these two clear, more clearly uh, defined systems, but there is this, this middle space that it, it's, it's not governed by two sets of policies. Um, uh, you know, it's, it's really, it's really a gray space. So I totally, we need more research in that area. And, um, and it's really, uh, you know, it varies. I think, you know, you've heard me said probably the third time I've said this, you know, there's a lot of state variation. So some states have standards in place and state policy or via NASEP accreditation that, you know, really help, um, you know, that really are intended to support faculty teaching and, and provide sort of quality instruction. And I think, you know, we need a little bit more evidence around how those systems work and um, how effective they are. All right, Kathleen, you get one more shot to slip in a question here before I close out this episode. I would wonder, you know, Jason, after doing this very thorough research review and now, you know, a call to action, so to speak, to the field, um, what what do you see as the future of uh, dual enrollment or where do you think your, your uh, you know, interests are going to go next? Yeah, I mean, I think... I think uh, dual enrollment's growing clearly. Um, there might be, you know, we, we might be leveling off a little bit in some sectors. And I think, you know, the pandemic and some other things have, have certainly um, disrupted some of, some of the trends in some ways. But, um, you know, I think, you know, Joe, maybe I think your, your earlier question probably alluded to this, but I, I do think, you know, um, higher ed blending in with, with, with K-12, I, I see that continuing to, to occur. And so how can, like, I'd love to see, you know, state, state, particularly state policy, but also also federal policy, like really think about this more deliberately um, because I don't, I don't think it's slowing down. In fact, one of the Department of Ed, uh, you know, they have, they have a new pathways team and one of their four priorities is dual enrollment. Um, that's the US Department of Ed that is. So- Wonderful. Um, I don't think it's slowing down. Um, I think, you know, we're going to see um, more, more focus on, you know, getting high school students into college um, uh, opportunities in high school. And um, I mean, to your, to your question, Kathleen, I think, you know, what we, what we need, um, and we've done a little bit of work around this, but we, we need the philanthropic community and funders to sort of, you know, invest in both policy and research, policy practice and research, right? So, um, you know, we if we're going to do dual enrollment, we need to do it right. We need to figure out how it's affordable, how it's equitable, how it's um, meaningful, and intentional, intentional for students. Yeah, um, we we throw around this term. You'll hear it a lot, Joe. If you if you you know listen, maybe you've heard it in, in your context, but you know, sort of random acts of dual enrollment. We've grown quite a bit, but how do we how do we get high school students in more meaningful and intentional sequences and pathways uh, of dual enrollment courses? So lots of 
lots of innovative policies and practices to explore. And as you know, as a researcher and as folks who are um, trying to trying to do good, sort of produce you know high quality evidence, you know, we we need we need folks to fund um, and and support that research as well. Um, I've got to interrupt the broadcast here. Attention. Um, what I love about having a uh, first time guest co-host on is that, that they sometimes steal my questions. Oh, what, do I'm so sorry. Future, what do you see as the future of dual enrollment was my final question. But since Kathleen asked it already, that's what makes for a great episode. Jason, I want to give you a chance to plug yourself on the way out. Talk about your work that you're doing at the University of Utah, the uh, CHIRP, the Collaborative for Higher Education Research and Policy. Anything you want to say about the university and the work you're doing, and then we'll close it out. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me, Joe. I just want to thank you and, um, and, uh, you know, just encourage folks who are, you know, studying and doing work at the intersection of higher ed and what it could be K-12, it could be the workforce. I think, you know, to the extent that we think across systems is, is super important because um, we got to help our students um, navigate those systems and those those transitions. And yeah, University of Utah is a fabulous place to work and, uh, and, and and study uh, education policy in higher ed. So uh, thanks for having me. Well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. First, before I outro my guest, I've got to go to my guest co-host, Kathleen. How did you feel about your first co-hosted episode of The Edip Experience? It was uh, very fun, painless, and I think I, I think I want to do it again. And I think you did a darn good job. Ladies and gentlemen, my guest co-host today, KKM, a.k.a. Kathleen Kennedy Manzo, a.k.a. She's the Executive Vice President of Education, Labor and Economy Practice, a Hager Sharp, and the former Managing Editor of Education Week. By the way, 20 years of incredible work at Education Week. I encourage, if you are, I encourage everybody, if you are connected to higher education, you need to find Kathleen and connect with her on LinkedIn. She knows everybody. She does great work. Um, and we appreciate you here at the Edip Experience, Kathleen. Thanks for all your support. Thank help. you. Love the podcast. It'll be in my dreams tonight. <laughs> uh, I feel bad for anybody that hears me. Welcome back, everybody. All right. And of course, our guest today, he's on the spot recalling 111 pages of research, which, which not many people can do. Uh, I had to look up some of the, the words in the sub executive summary because I'm like, what the heck does that mean? So you're a better man than I. Here he is, Dr. Jason Taylor, Director of the Collaborative for Higher Education Research and Policy, CHIRP, and Associate Professor for Educational Leadership at the University of Utah. Jason, did you have a good edup experience today? I had a fabulous experience. My first podcast also. So um, All right. today it was an adventure and I, I enjoyed it. Thanks, Joe. Yes. Put your hands up in the air. That's our celebration on the way out. Ladies and gentlemen, you've just ed upped. Commencement, the beginning of a new era in higher education by Kate Colbert and Joe Salustio with contributions by Elvin Freitas is now available for pre-order on Amazon. Get your Kindle edition or your softbound book. It's going to be amazing.